Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. Today I want to talk about the original Catholic Church of God. I've been working on a new book. Matter of fact, let me hold this up before we get started. Called Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church. Now this is a, a draft copy of the book. Uh, the book isn't finished yet. But I wanted to start to go through this process of explaining some things that a lot of people uh, do not understand about uh, the name of the church, uh, some stuff about Church of God history, and what original Christians taught, including people who were considered to be Catholic. Oh, this book, by the way, uh, the draft of it at least, uh, as well as any other book we hold up, I may hold up, is available at the www.ccog.org website. Go to the literature tab under books and booklets and you can find it. As a matter of fact, because alphabetical, this one actually comes up first. Anyway, there's many books that have come out that try to tell the story of early Christianity. Yet nearly all of them overlook much of what the original church taught. Now this has been confirmed by various scholars, including, for example, the late uh, French Cardinal uh, Jean Genolet-Marie Danilou, who's a Roman Catholic. Dr. Danilou taught that church history has generally been mistaught by downplaying the fact that uh, the Romans considered Christianity a Jewish sect, not a new religion. And Cardinal uh, Danilou specifically wrote that not properly teaching the truth about church history and uh, basically being uh, a Jew, considered to be a Jewish sect, quote, leads to a false picture of uh, Christian history. And that's been a reality. Uh, we actually have a book on church history uh, called Continuing History of Church of God. It's not a very huge book. And we recognize that the early church was a lot more Jewish, if you will, than what passes for Christianity today. And we both have various things in here. But this new book that I'm talking about, I'm trying to go into more depth regarding certain early beliefs now, the beliefs are discussed, by the way, in this other book. Again, this is free at ccog.org, Continuing History of the Church of God. But in the, the newer one, we actually have more quotes, if you will, or longer quotes, as opposed to some summaries in terms of uh, church doctrine. Now, church history is actually a lot more important than most people realize. Uh, basically, from a Protestant perspective, uh, if Protestants would look at church history, I don't think they would be Protestant. If they truly had to love the truth, they'd looked at the details. And we have a very long book, and this one is finished online, called Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. By the way, we are not Protestant in the uh, uh, Continuing Church of God. Now, various leaders in churches who call themselves Catholic have asserted that the truth about church history is very important. For example, on March 9th, 2019, uh, Pope Francis stated, quote, The church is not afraid of history, rather loves it and would like to love it more and better as God loves it. Well, I'm going to share stuff in this sermon series on church history in some detail that people who call themselves Catholics might be surprised to learn. Well, what about the Orthodox? Well, Bartholomew I who's the, quote, ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople of the Eastern Orthodox Catholic Church, wrote, 
Whoever believes that orthodoxy has the truth does not fear dialogue because truth has never been endangered by dialogue. I'm going to be giving you a lot of historical and biblical truths, uh, not just today, but other um, sermons in this series. And of course, I think all of our sermons are based upon truth. But I say that because people have their minds made up. A lot of times, uh, Roman Catholics think that uh, they are the original church and they didn't change. And Eastern Orthodox teach basically the same thing. And Protestants uh, have claimed that they get their doctrine from the Bible, which a lot of their doctrines are in conflict with the Bible, which is one of the reasons I'm holding this book up again. And for uh, those who call themselves Catholic, I believe our, our latest book, again, this is a draft to take a while before we finalize the book, but there's, there's still enough in there, or in this book, that if you claim to be some type of Catholic, you may be surprised that your church does not hold on to the original faith. They don't have the original beliefs, or the beliefs of the original Catholic Church, which is the title of this particular book. Now, regarding the Eastern Orthodox, uh, one of their bishops, Timothy Callistos Ware, he wrote, Christianity, if true, has nothing to fear from honest inquiry. So if you are Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic or, or Protestant, do you fear the truth, the honest inquiry? I hope not. And if you've got a, a Church of God background, you may be surprised that there's some things you didn't know Maybe you did know all the stuff I'm going to go in here, but I suspect there's some parts you're not, you have not been aware of. So don't be afraid of church history, even if your tradition, whether it's Church of God, uh, Roman Catholic, uh, Eastern Orthodox, uh, Protestant, uh, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, whatever, maybe. Now, documenting the beliefs of the original Catholic leaders should assist any who are actually pursuing honest inquiry. And many will be surprised by things we're going to cover in this sermon series. And hopefully you're unafraid of church history. And hopefully you have the right mindset that God can work with you so you can believe it when you see it. Now, this particular book looks into church history. So those who have the love of the truth which we talked about in uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, 2.10, can learn more about, not be deceived like the rest of the world prophesied to become, which it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.9-12. It's those, only those who do not have the love of the truth that are going to be deceived, and hopefully you do have enough of the love of the truth. Now, Pope Benedict XVI, who's now Emeritus Pope, he taught... The church considers that her most important mission in today's culture is to keep alive the search for truth, which again, this is what this book is uh, striving to do. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches, in item number 2104, all men are bound to seek the truth, especially what concerns God and his church, and embrace it and hold on to it as they come to know it. So hopefully, if you're some type of a Catholic or some type of a Protestant, you are willing to believe the truth, search for the truth, the pearl of great price that Jesus was referring to before. Hopefully you can accept the truth even if it goes against some of your long-held beliefs. 
beliefs probably you accepted, but perhaps did, maybe didn't prove that they were true. Now, I went to the Catholic Answers website, Maryland Catholic site, and it says the reason to Catholicize professors of Christ who aren't part of the Church of Rome is to give them the fullness of truth. So let me read from that website. This is talking about non-Roman Catholics from, from a Roman Catholic perspective. They are Christians, but they have some serious errors. So we want to Catholicize them. That's right. Give them the fullness of truth. Well, if Catholicizing means the fullness of truth, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and other Catholics, Eastern Rite Catholics, etc., would do very well to study this book with their Bibles. And if they're Protestant, if you're Protestant, by the way, this particular one with your Bibles, and actually, of course, you can study both of them. Now, as far as the term Christian goes, since the Catholic answer is mentioned about Christians, uh, it was uh, in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now, that's what it says in Acts 11, verse 26. Now, that's from the New Jerusalem Bible. Now, in this sermon series, and today specifically, when I'm quoting scriptures that are in this book, I've been using and will continue to use translations that have been done by either Eastern Orthodox, uh, Roman Catholics, or others who call themselves Catholic, or be considered the Catholic faith, as opposed to Protestant translations. Although, uh, in some cases, they're the same. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, from the Dewey Rames Bible, Apostle Paul taught Christians to, quote, well, he said, but prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And in the sermon series and in this book, there's lots of proofs from sources accepted as valid and from people usually or often considered to be saints by Greco-Roman and Protestant scholars <laughs> in their churches. Many would be surprised, however, even shocked to know what early faithful Christians believed. I'm, in today's message, I'm going to go over the first few times the term Catholic Church is found in the earliest uh, Christian literature. Now, this is something other people have done, but this sermon series or this book might be the first to actually provide as many quotes of what the original Catholic Church taught and ties this in with Christians that have held them to this day. See, a lot of people quote some of the old, what they call church fathers, but do they still have the same faith of the ones who were actually truly faithful? Now I'd like to read something that was uh, put out by uh, Wheaton uh, Graduate School. It says, The lineage of bishops in the region of Asia Minor may be the most important area of all for crystallizing Christian theology by providing a direct link between the writings of the scripture and the tradition of the fathers. So that's actually from a, a Protestant source, but that's consistent a lot with what uh, officially the Church of Rome and uh, the Eastern Orthodox teach. They teach that the early fathers, as they called them, uh, are the link. And so this is consistent there. And the reason this is important, and I've brought this up before, various ones have 
cited writings from the 19th century. People who translated uh, uh, the, either parts of the Bible or they translated the early writings of so-called church fathers, etc. And they, they say, okay, our modern scholars know Greek so well, this is what the Bible means. And I'll say, well, wait a second. If they did, then how come these so-called early fathers, people who knew the apostles or knew people who knew people who knew the apostles, and they were fluent in the language of the New Testament, which was Koine Greek, surely they knew what the Bible meant, or they knew what the apostles taught better than various modern uh, people have, have claimed. Now, I'll tend to use in this sermon series the term Greco-Roman to refer to the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches, or scholars from those churches. Now, the Eastern Orthodox Church itself is officially known as the Orthodox Catholic Church, by the way. But I'll tend to use the term Eastern because that's more commonly understood in English-speaking lands. Now, the Romans prefer to call themselves the Catholic Church. But for purposes of uh, accuracy, I'm going to use the term Roman Catholic uh, to distinguish it uh, as the church based out of Vatican City and whose cathedral is in... Uh, Rome in a place called uh, St. John's Lateran. Now, the other thing I will tend to use is the term uh, Church of God. Now, the uh, Church of God uh, in our context does not mean uh, one of the Greco-Roman churches. Now, sometimes the Greco-Roman churches call themselves Church of God, but it basically the term Church of God is referring to a group such as the Continuing Church of God or a group we have uh, uh, succeeded or uh, descended from. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about the church. I want to read something from the Eastern Orthodox. It is agreed that, properly speaking, the word church refers to people, not a building. The Catechism of the Orthodox Church contains the following question and answer. Question. Why is a church called Catholic or Universal? which is what Catholic means. Answer, because she's not limited to any place, time, or people, but contains the true believers of all places, times, and peoples. Then this writer says, the church, strictly speaking, is a body of Christ. The eschatological unity of those who have been united in Christ's life in all times and places. This is the foundational use of church in the New Testament. And actually, the writer who's done this, uh, Eastern Orthodox priest by the name of Lawrence, uh, uh, cleaner work. I've actually spoken to him and he and I have communicated off and on over the years. Now he's right that the church is not a building nor is it limited in various ways like many people think. Now I'd like to read something from uh, uh, Andrews University which is an Adventist uh, university. Most people in the West know very little about the doctrines of the Eastern and Near Eastern Christian churches. There are many churches under this umbrella, such as the Syrian, Nestorian, Armenian, and other churches of Eastern tradition. Now, while many churches of the Eastern and Near Eastern traditions are very close doctrinally to the Western churches, such as uh, Rome and the Protestants, there are other churches of Eastern tradition that strive to be closer to the original faith of the apostles that were in the East, which was Asia Minor and Antioch such as Continuing Church of God. Now, I'd like to read something from a Vatican perspective. 
This was published by Crux, which is a Roman Catholic publication. From a Catholic perspective, the Vatican said, the term church applies to the Catholic Church in communion with the bishops of Rome. Okay? It also applies to churches which are not in visible communion with the Catholic Church, but have preserved the apostolic succession and a valid Eucharist, remaining true particular churches. Other Christian communities which have not preserved the valid episcopacy and Eucharist are called ecclesiastical communities in official church documents. Now, let me go back. Okay, according to the Church of Rome, a, a church would be those, include those that are not in visible communion with the Catholic Church of Rome, such as our church, but have preserved apostolic succession, which we have, by the way, and a valid Eucharist, which is truly Passover. They remain true churches. So by their definition, uh, we are... Uh, uh, a church, a true church. How so? Well, I've said we've maintained the original and valid Eucharist, which is Passover. And we also have the clearest initial documented succession from the original apostles through Polycarp. So therefore we have a valid episcopacy, as they say. And throughout history, we've remained true to the original apostolic faith. And this book helps document that. Now, in other pronouncements I should mention, the Vatican specifically includes as churches those who meet the above, even if they broke off communion with Rome at some point in time. And actually that happened with the Church of God. Uh, we know, for example, the Apostle Paul was in Rome. He's, there were churches in Rome. Up until sometime into this uh, second century, there was relatively full communion, if we will, or interaction or acceptance uh, between uh, uh, the churches in Rome and the churches in Asia Minor. Now that changed in the second century as what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church developed and then those who did not want to become part of it still stayed in communion with uh, uh, the Asia Minor churches, but the predominant church in the uh, in the area of Rome in the 2nd century and with the Church of God they were no longer in communion. Now I should also mention that another requirement for the uh, Vatican is you have to have a, a clergy or a ministry that anoints the sick, baptizes, performs marriages, uh, conducts Eucharist, which would be Passover, and all that uh, ministry the continuing Church of God does. Now, I'd like to talk a little about the original faith. I'm going to read from the Rheims New Testament of 1582, which is an English translation from the Latin. It says, Jude 3, Contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Which is what we in the Continuing Church of God do. That's what this book does. What this book does. There are other books do as well. And in 1 Timothy 4.16, it translates that as, Take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Be earnest in them. So take heed. Don't just accept false tradi or traditions, particularly if they don't agree with the Bible. Now, so that was from a Roman Catholic perspective. Now we're going to read something from uh, the Eastern Orthodox Bible, Jude 3. Fight hard for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We, the Continuing Church of God, are doing that. It's one of the reasons we have such books. 
with, with, with details. And 1 Timothy 4.16, the Eastern Orthodox Bible translates that as, watch yourself and your teaching. Continue in these things. To continue, you continue with the original faith. Now once the original apostles were gone, all of which uh, we think died in the first centuries, there's a possibility that John could have lived into the early part of the second century, what are we supposed to continue? Who are we supposed to know the faith? Well, obviously the true saints. Particularly the saints from the first century who knew the apostles and they lived in the second century. And then, of course, some were born later. Now notice that in the Bible, in Jude 3, it says don't depart from the faith. It doesn't talk about not departing from, from organization. And the apostle John himself confirmed this point because he said that there were those who failed to continue in what he taught in 1 John 2.19. And then he also wrote about a group that started out as true, and that group ended up not accepting him or what other believers uh, taught. That's 3 John 9-10. through 10. He said this group claimed to represent the original organization, essentially, but they, they claim now that they had it, basically, and they didn't continue with the original faith, and John was condemning them just because they were in this location, and John's people had been there before, true Christians had been there before, they were putting out true Christians, not letting John in. But they were, from then on, the organization. Now, by the way, that was not Rome. But the same thing happened in various other places. Now, I'm going to go to Revelation 17, verse 14. Actually, the third part of this verse. I'm going to read it from the Dewey Rames Bible and the Orthodox Standard Bible. Revelation 17, 14, part C, if you will. These are those who are going to be with Jesus when he returns. They who are with him are called and elect and faithful. Or as the Orthodox Bible says, those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. It's those who hold to the original faith that are truly faithful. Now, who would that be today? Can you prove which organization is best contending for the original faith? You know, what were the faiths of the original Catholic Church, original Christian Church, and who was in it? Are you somebody who can accept the facts of Scripture in early church writings to know what that faith was in order to uh, accept one that's best representing that faith now? Now, I want to talk about church names. Now, what was the original name of the Christian church in the Bible? And was the church actually called Catholic in the Bible? Well, the first time the term church is associated with a location or description in the Bible is in Acts 8.1 and 11.22. And it talks about the church either in or at Jerusalem. Now, the next time it's referred to in Acts 13.1 is a church at Antioch. So we see the term church used with geographic locations. Now, the first time we see the term church of in the Bible is Acts 20, verse 28, where it's called the church of God. And when I say first time, talking about again, the traditional, the, the order that most Bibles have the New Testament books in. Now, many people are unaware that the, the predominant name of the true church in the New Testament is church of God. 
Variants of this expression are clearly stated in singular and plural forms in 12 different parts of the New Testament. The only other singular church of statement in Scripture is in Hebrews 12.23, which talks about the church of the firstborn. Uh, throughout history, the true church has used some version of the expression church of God, or, as you can see in Romans 16.16, 16, churches of Christ, although sometimes with another term, like a geographical region, or another word with it. However, critics tend to call members of the faithful church of God other names. And just see that, for example, in uh, Acts uh, 24, verse 5, and we've seen that throughout history. Now, the church of God is not some brand new organization, like some claim. It's continued for nearly 2,000 years, despite various relocations and organizational changes. Now, I should mention that the, the church is called holy, in Ephesians 5.27, the true church is called holy, but it wasn't really used as a name, but is, the term holy has been applied to the church. Now, the true church has continued from the time of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and the Bible teaches in Hebrews 13.1 that Philadelphia is going to continue, and this is one of the reasons why uh, we use the term continuing church of God to describe our church. Now, I want to go to uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. This is from the Dewey Rames Bible. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sothenes, a brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to the sanctified Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that invoke the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ in every place of theirs and ours. Now I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1, Dewey Rames Bible. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints that are in all Acacia. Now I'm going to go to Galatians 1, verse 13. This is from the New Jerusalem Bible, or the Orthodox Standard Bible. They have the same thing. Paul wrote, quote, I persecuted the church of God. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians 7, verse, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 2. Paul wrote, verse 14, for you, brethren, have become followers of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you have suffered the same things from your countrymen, even as they from the Jews. Uh, in the uh, New King James, I think it says imitators, which, if you think about this, says, hmm, there must have been some similarities be between Jews, because uh, the church of God in Judea is what those in uh, Thessalonica were following, and they were Greek. So the Gentiles were doing things like uh, the Jews were as well. Now, in uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, the Apostle Paul wrote, But if I tarry long, that thou, this is Dewey Rain's Bible, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to converse in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. 
So we see the term Church of God used uh, uh, many times. And in the book, in this particular book, I have each of the scriptural references uh, either quoted or cited. So if I didn't read every single one of them, they're, they're here. As I said, there's a dozen of them. Now, there's a late first century document, which is commonly called First Clement, but it was actually the letter from the Corinthians, from the Romans to the Corinthians. And this came out in the late first century, and it says, The church of God which sojourneth in Rome, this is how it starts off, to the church of God which sojourneth in Corinth, to them which are called and sanctified by the will of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got this one document which came from Rome, but the Roman church at that time called itself Church of God. And yes, these people, as far as I can tell, were Church of God people. Now I know some people in the Church of God have accepted some traditions on history that are not accurate. Uh, there were true Christians in Rome. Okay, there were true Christians in Rome in the first century. The Bible's clear about that. There's true Christians in Rome. In the second century, we can determine that from various writings uh, from church, church historians, etc. But notice that the Roman church at the time uh, called itself Church of God, didn't call itself Catholic Church. You don't see the term Catholic Church in that first century document. Now in the second century, Bishop or pastor Polycarp wrote from Smyrna. Now this is from his letter to the Philippians. Again, this is not scripture. But he wrote, Polycarp and the presbyters with him to the church of God that sojourns at Philippi. So we see this expression a lot. This, the church that sojourns here or sojourns there. So the term church of God is being used uh, often with a geographic uh, point. Now, after Polycarp was killed, those in his area wrote something that's known as the martyrdom of Polycarp. And it starts off with the church of God which sojourns at Smyrna to the church of God which sojourns in Philomelium. Philomelium. So we see from the New Testament, as well as some of the earliest post-New Testament writings, this time term church of God. And Ignatius and others also used the term Church of God when they were writing. Ignatius is considered, uh, uh, well, he was a pastor in Antioch, uh, early part of the second century. Now, what about being called Catholic? Now, the word Catholic means about whole, or according to the whole, or throughout the whole, or complete. And now we tend to think it means uh, universal. Now, the first time the term Catholic Church is used, it's in an ancient writing in a letter from Ignatius of Antioch to the Church of God in Smyrna. It was not in a document related to the Church of Rome until almost a century later. Now, being raised Roman Catholic, I was surprised to find out that the early refer earliest reference to the Catholic Church, earliest references actually, were not related to Rome. I'd like to read from an article that was published over 100 years ago in the American Journal of Theology by C.A. Briggs called Catholic, The Name and the Thing. The word Catholic had its origin in the Greek language and the things it stands for in Christianity originated at a time when the Greek language 
was a religious language of Christians in the West as well as in the East. In Rome and Africa and Gaul, that would be like part of France, as well as in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, Asia, Minor, and Antioch, the word is not found in the Greek Bible of the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's an adjective compounded of the preposition kata, meaning connection or throughout, and the adjective olos, the whole, properly in the accusative. Olov or oli, in accordance with the noun which is attached. So sometimes with Greek they have some different endings. Depending. We first meet the word in the epistle of Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, to the church at Smyrna in the early in the second century. We find three uses of the word in the letter of the church of Smyrna on the martyrdom of Polycarp, its bishop, soon after its martyrdom. There's no good reason to question their genuineness. So this writer saying, okay, the first few times we see the term Catholic Church, it was in the letter from Ignatius to the Church of God in Smyrna, and the letter from the Church of God in Smyrna regarding the martyrdom of Polycarp. And so let me read what Ignatius wrote in his letter to the Smyrnians. Parts of it. Ignatius, who's also called Theophorus, to the Church of God, the Father, and of the beloved Jesus Christ at Smyrna in Asia, wherever the bishop appears, let the congregation be. Just as wherever Jesus is, there is the Catholic Church. So Ignatius refers to the uh, Church of God in Smyrna. Then he later says, the Church of God, excuse me, the Catholic Church is where Jesus is. Now the bishop he was referring to in this particular case was. Polycarpus Myrna, where the bishop is, because that's where that bishop was. That's who it was. In uh, Ignatius's extant letters, and he wrote half a dozen or so, including one to Rome, he never refers to any bishop or pastor in or near Rome, nor does he mention the term Catholic Church in relationship to Rome. Furthermore, according to various Catholic scholars, and I've got books from priests like uh, from uh, Sullivan, uh, McBrien, matter of fact, I've communicated with, with uh, McBrien. Uh, Iman Duffy, who's on a pontifical committee, he wasn't a priest. They will tell you that there's no clear early records proving the existence of any Roman bishops that early. Because so, they didn't come until later in the second century. Now the fact that Ignatius's letter to Smyrna uses the term Catholic Church now that's known and accepted by Roman Catholic scholars. As a matter of fact, let me read from the Catholic Encyclopedia so you know that uh, they acknowledge this as well. The combination, quote, the Catholic Church, a catholique ecclesia, is found for the first time in the letter of St. Ignatius to the Smyrnians written about the year 110. The words run, whosoever the bishop shall, wheresoever the bishop shall appear, let the people be, even as where Jesus may be, there is the universal Catholic Church, or, or Catholic Church. However, in view of the context, some differences of opinion prevail as to the, as to the pre precise connotation of the word Catholic. By the beginning of the fourth century, 
it seems to have almost entirely supplanted the primitive and more general meaning. So what they're saying is, when Ignatius first wrote this, it wasn't saying that the, the Roman Catholic Church or something like that. It was just kind of a general term. Then Catholic Encyclopedia also says, the reference to, quote, the Bishop of the Catholic Church in Smyrna, the letter of the martyrdom of St. Polycarp, a phrase which necessarily presupposes more technical use of the word is due, they think, to interpolation. So they're not so totally sure about that particular one, but they know it's there. But again, Ignatius did not use the term Catholic in his letter to the Romans or Catholic Church. In a historical sense, the Church of God in Smyrna was, or at least was an important part of, the original Catholic Church. I'm going to read that again. It's in the book. In the book it says, please read it again. And I wrote this book. In a historical sense, the Church of God in Smyrna was, or at least an important part of, the original Catholic Church. Now it should be noted that there's been, it's been speculated by some lay people that there's an expression in Acts 9.31 related to the churches in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria that might be transliterated as churches Catholic. However, they, it uses a different uh, Greek expression, and I'm not going to go into all the Greek expression parts, but it is in this particular book. Again, you can, you can read. And it seems to be meaning more like assembly throughout. And the original Reims New Testament, Reims New Testament, Roman Catholic translation, doesn't say it's translated as Catholic Church. How they, it translates the first part of Acts 9.31 is, quote, the church truly through all Jewry and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And a Roman Catholic layperson says it should say, uh, through all should it be the Catholic Church. But it, even if it was saying Catholic Church, and there was a form of the word kata, which means according to, that's kath, with a theta in it, in, in the original Greek. Again, it's talking about uh, Jewry, Galilee, and Samaria, not Rome again. So if, if the term Catholic Church can be somehow pushed into this passage, and perhaps it can, Again, it's talking about something in the east, in this case, in the area of Judea. So, now, I mentioned the, the uh, uh, martyrdom of Polycarp, and this was written, believed to be written shortly after Polycarp was uh, martyred, uh, probably within weeks. Uh, some people think it was written a later, but it was not written too long afterward. So let me read some portions of it. The Church of God which sojourns at Smyrna to the Church of God which sojourns in Philomelium and to all the congregations of the Holy and Catholic Church in every place. So this is coming from the Church of God in Smyrna, basically saying that all the true churches are the Holy and Catholic Church. Now, Church of God writers have said that Polycarp was a true Christian and that this letter of the martyrdom is a, a true document. So a lot of people in Church of God did not realize that, yes, in Church of God they were writing that the other churches who were part of the true church were part of the Holy Catholic Church. Okay. Anyway, continuing here, it says also, the elect of whom 
this most admirable Polycarp was one, having in our own times have been apostolic and prophetic teacher and bishop of the Catholic Church, which is in Smyrna. Polycarp was an apostolic teacher because he was appointed by the apostles. And this is uh, from uh, the uh, uh, Anti-Nicene Fathers by Robertson Donaldson, because there's different translations, that's the one we have here. So if you look at Ignatius's letter to the Smyrnians, as well as the one from the Smyrnians called the Martyrdom of Polycarp, it should be clear that Polycarp's church, the Smyrnian Church of God, is the one that the oldest literature points to being the original Catholic Church, and that those in communion with it, those in communion with it, were also the Catholic Church. And by this stage, I do not believe that uh, after, after Polycarp's martyrdom, that the churches in Asia Minor and in Antioch were in communion with the major church in uh, Alexandria, Egypt, or in Rome. Okay, So this is important to realize, because if you know that, then you wait, wait a second, then the original Catholic Church is somewhere where the church is in Asia Minor and Antioch. Now, there were still some true Christians in Rome, but I don't believe at the time this uh, letter came out that the leaders, the, the bishop of Rome at, the, at that stage from then on was in communion with, with them and therefore did not represent the original faith. And I'm going to go some more depth to prove that later. We're not going to go have time in today's sermon to do all of that. But I just wanted to point this out. The Church of God Christians, the ones who wrote the martyrdom of Polycarp, sent it to the, all the congregations of the Holy and Catholic Church that they were in communion with, not ones they didn't think were true. And that would have included churches in Asia Minor, Antioch, and again, perhaps some peripheral churches in Rome, perhaps some peripheral churches in Jerusalem, because the predominant church in Jerusalem by this time had already apostatized. Okay, now, I find it's interesting to note that uh, Polycarp was listed as, quote, an apostolic and prophetic teacher and the bishop of the Catholic Church, which is in Smyrna. So this points out that Polycarp was believed to have apostolic succession, uh, and to have a or the mantle of top leadership prior to the time he died or was killed, actually his death. Because it had a succession from the apostles as well as what we see in early writings, you could say that the Smyrna church was the original apostolic Catholic church of God. Now this view was also carried forward into the third century in Smyrna by somebody named Peonius, and we'll get to him a little bit later. Now, it's interesting to me that if you get back to the uh, martyrdom of Polycarp, that document itself, somebody by the name of a, Gerd, a scholar by the name of Gerd Bushman says that the document is, quote, Catholic normative and displays, quote, the dogmatic common sense of the proto-Catholic church. That was from the Journal of uh, Biblical uh, Literature, that quote from the autumn of 2001. But I think that's a bit misleading. I think a more proper view would be that the original portions of the martyrdom of Polycarp should be considered part of the original 
not proto, needing to be changed, Catholic Church. So that's one of the things that you'll see when you hear writings about Polycarp in this area. People will say they were proto-Orthodox. Now what do they mean by proto-Orthodox? They mean, well, we have to call Polycarp Orthodox, but really a lot of stuff he said, the Orthodox, or what became the Greco-Roman churches, don't accept it anymore. So he was proto-Orthodox. He was on the way toward Orthodoxy. You mean on a way away from the original faith? No, Polycarp was not on a way away from the original faith, nor the faithful in Asia Minor or Antioch uh, uh, departing from the faith. By definition, the faithful don't depart from the faith. Yet, when you look at the scholars of this world, they have, well, this is primitive Christianity, proto-Catholic Christianity. And that all changed. Well, if it changed, it was not part of the beliefs of the original Catholic Church. Now, according to one account, uh, around 250 AD, there was a, a presbyter or an elder by the name of Pionius of Smyrna. And some think he actually wrote uh, something called the Life of Polycarp, or rewrote something that became called that. Uh, he claimed to be part of the, the Catholic Church. So let me read something regarding that. And this is, if you want to call it this, I think this is called the, the martyrdom of uh, Peonius and his companions. Because yes, he was killed later. On the second day of the sixth month, on the occasion of a great Sabbath, and on the anniversary of the blessed martyr Polycarp, while the persecution of Decius was still on, there were arrested the presbyter Peonius, the holy woman Sabina, Asclepides, Macedonia, and Limnos, a presbyter of the Catholic Church. It was Saturday. Of course, Sabbath is Saturday. <clears throat> Polomen, the temple verger, came in on them with his men in order to seek out Christians and drag them off. Peonius, are you a Christian? asked Polomen. Yes, said Peonius. Polomon the verger said, What church do you belong to? The Catholic Church, was the answer. With Christ there is no other. From this account, we see there was some type of Sabbath-keeping Catholic Church in Smyrna still. Now this particular great Sabbath, by the way, is believed by some scholars to have taken place on the first day of unleavened bread. Uh, Lightfoot had it that way. Uh, and however, for it to fall on a Saturday, it would have been probably the seventh day of unleavened bread, and that but probably was, would have been in 249 or 252 AD. Most scholars say it was 250, but if you look at the Sabbath and putting it all together, uh, to, to be a great Sabbath, by the way, in case you're not familiar with that, a great Sabbath would be where it's a holy day and a Sabbath at the same time. Uh, and that's consistent with the writings of the Apostle John in the Gospel accounts, in his Gospel account. Now, when Peonius said there was no other true church other than the Catholic Church, Smyrna and the rest of Asia Minor was not in fellowship. Uh, Catholics like to use, Roman Catholics use the word communion, and I've used that, their term a few times, but we'll say not in fellowship with the predominant churches in Rome or Alexandria. And you can prove this by looking at Eusebius' church history, book 7, chapter 5, verse 1. Hence, when 
Peonius was referring to the was, he was not referring to the Roman or Eastern Orthodox Catholic churches who were confederate with each other at that time. Yet, you'll see Roman Catholic lay people say, oh, see, Peonius says the only church is the Catholic church, and this is our Catholic church. It was the original Catholic church Peonius was referring to. So, we've seen in the early 2nd century, Ignatius writing about the Catholic church when he wrote to the Church of God in Smyrna. The late 2nd century, several times the book, The Martyrdom of Polycarp from the Smyrnians used the term Catholic Church and said they were in fellowship with the Holy Catholic Churches. And now in the 3rd century, we see Peonius, a Sabbath keeper, said he was part of the Catholic Church, again still in Smyrna. By the way, I should mention that Peonius was not eating unclean meats, but according to Greco-Roman writers, by the second century, uh, if you have something called the Epistle of Barnabas, which seems to came out of Alexandria, Egypt, they were eating unclean meat. You have Justin Martyr who went to Rome. He was eating unclean meat. And according to the Liber Pontificalis, which is a book, supposedly the lives of the popes, Eleutherus, uh, around 180 or later A.D., declared it was okay for Roman Catholics to eat unclean meat. But Peonius wasn't doing this. So based on all this information, those who are willing to believe the truth should understand. Peonius was not talking about the Eastern Orthodox Catholic Church or the Roman Catholic Church when he said he was with the Catholic Church and there is no other. Because if you are uh, Greco-Roman, you probably don't believe that you have to keep the Sabbath day holy Saturday, although a lot of the Orthodox do attend some kind of church service then. And you also probably think it's okay to eat biblically unclean meat, but Peonius didn't do that. We have more information at Peonius at the Cogwriter.com website. That's C-O-G-W-R-I-T-R dot C-O-M website. Whereas the books I keep holding up, which you can find there as well, you can find them more easily at the ccog.org website. Go into the literature tab under books and booklets and you can find that. But for uh, specifically related to Peonius, I've had an article at the Cogwriter website about him. Now it should be mentioned that there's some controversy associated with the term Catholic Church found in the martyrdom of uh, Polycarp. And there's some arguments among scholars whether it was originally there or people added it later. But I went and I looked at the Greek, and the Greek that I found uh, has, it, has it in there. As, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, that particular, I don't have the Greek, but the translation of it's actually on the front cover here. And the Greek, if you want to see it, um, I mean, I can hold it up here, but you're not going to be able to... Well, maybe you know the Greek. It usually doesn't come very clear. Here's the Greek here. And again, this is in uh, this particular book. So if you want to see it in more depth. It uh, uh, looks to me that uh, it's, it's talking about the uh, use of the term Catholic Church. And it was a descriptive term that included the Smyrnian Church of God that was led by Polycarp. Now, lest any one think I've somehow pulled some kind of a fast one. Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox scholars teach that Polycarp, Ignatius, 
Peonius, and those that we consider early Church of God leaders in Asia Minor, including Smyrna, were all Catholics and all were saints. And the ones we call our leaders, we concur with. So if you have used the real writings from them, real as opposed to the fact that there's some questions about some things that have been changed throughout history. We're not talking about the Bible, we're talking about some uh, letters and historical documents. They, they uh, seem to be reliable enough to show that the original Catholic Church was in Asia Minor. And that they were not in fellowship with, with Rome <laughs> or Alexandria, Egypt. Now, after the term martyrdom of Polycarp comes out, now we start to see the term Catholic Church used in a document called the uh, Muratorian Fragment. However, the original Greek manuscript was lost. What we now have available is actually a 7th century document written in Latin, so that was not the original. So whether or not it used the term Catholic Church in the late 2nd century, we really don't know. Now, interestingly, I mentioned the fact that we've seen the term Catholic Church in, the, in Church of God uh, literature, or from Church of God people, in the early 2nd century, the late 2nd century, the middle of the 3rd century. There's also a reference related to Lucian of Antioch. Lucian was not in communion with the succession of at least three Greco-Roman bishops in Antioch. And he had a school that was actually based upon literal biblical interpretation that according to uh, the Roman Catholic Cardinal John Henry Newman, savored of Judaism and was semi-Aryan and was opposed to the uh, allegorical schools that uh, was in Alexandria, Egypt. Lucian reportedly was a Sabbatarian and a Benetarian. Now, there, in a seemingly 4th century creed ascribed to Lucian, but perhaps it was penned by a disciple of his, it uses the term Catholic Church of God. This is according to uh, 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 Schaff, the Protestant Dr. Schaff, in Creeds of Christendom. And that would not have been a reference to the Greco-Roman churches as Lucian opposed the Alexandrian school. He was a church leader and probably church of God. And Lucian's creed, as it's called, seems to be the first place that the expression Catholic Church of God uh, is found. Although, as I've said before, Ignatius used the term Church of God and the term or expression Catholic Church in his letters to the Smyrnians. Now, I mentioned before that there's this Muratorian uh, 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 fragment. And it, its changed version does have, uh, it's, uh, it's the version we have does, and it's in Latin, it, it does say a Catholic uh, a church. Uh, the actual Latin, I can, might be able to pronounce it. I, I took Latin, but it was so many decades ago. Raquai in... Catholicam Ecclesiam Recepta Non. Uh, talk about things that cannot be received into the Catholic Church. Now, this particular document, which uh, sometimes Roman Catholics say, this proves Catholic Church in Rome, 
Well, it was from Italy, but it included heretical books in its list as scripture. They considered the Apocalypse of Peter and the Wisdom of Solomon in scripture, which they're not. And it excludes, by the way, New Testament books such as uh, Hebrews, James, uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and one of John's uh, epistles. But we actually have a book. I'll just show you uh, part of the cover. Who gave the world the Bible? Um, and it goes in more depth about who had the Bible, who knew what the Bible was. If you're Roman Catholic or uh, Greek Orthodox, or even Protestant, you might be surprised that your scholars seem to have overlooked various things that are in the ancient literature, scholastic literature, about who knew the books of the Bible and who actually gave the world the Bible. Anyway, the uh, uh, Muratorium Fragment uh, And the church it was using was not the same Catholic church that was in Asia Minor. As I said before, at this, at this stage, Asia Minor and um, Antioch were in uh, fellowship or full communion with each other. And the churches in Asia Minor and Antioch did not accept the Apocalypse of Peter or the Wisdom of Solomon as, uh, uh, as acceptable. They, those heretical ones were not. Matter of fact, with, in Polycarp's uh, letter to the Philippians, it showed that those in both uh, Smyrna and Asia Minor recognized those books that the uh, Muratorium uh, fragment excluded. Because Polycarp actually quoted Hebrews, uh, 1 Peter, and he refers to teachings in James, 2 Peter, and the three epistles of John. Well, what about Alexandria? Well, apparently in the early 3rd century, uh, we uh, see one of the first uses of the term Catholic Church in the ancient literature in Egypt. Now it's from the semi-Gnostic Clement of Alexandria. Uh, his references don't point to a particular location like Rome, but essentially said the Catholic Church existed before the rise of apostates such as Valentinus and Marcion, both who were, by the way, part of the Church of Rome for decades, despite being denounced by Polycarp of Smyrna. Tertullian of Carthage also used the term Catholic Church in relationship to Marcion and Valentinus, uh, but he tied it in with Rome. Now the Catholic Encyclopedia, in an article on Marcus, has the statement, Clement of Alexandria, himself infected with Gnosticism. Yes, Clement was a type of Gnostic, a believer of salvation by the, through special knowledge. Because of that, he wouldn't have been a true. He would not have been in true fellowship with the churches of God in Asia Minor or Antioch, of, such as Church of God in Smyrna. But so from here on, though, we're seeing two different churches using the expression Catholic Church. Now, in the 21st century, then Pope Benedict VI taught, in our mediations of the great figures of the ancient Church. Today, we'll get to know one of the most outstanding: Origin of Alexandria is one of the key people of the development of Christian thought. He draws on the teachings he inherited from Clement of Alexandria and brings them forward in a totally innovative way, creating an irreversible turn in Christian thought. So you've got, by the way, the reality is the Church of Rome has officially condemned Gnosticism, yet it now officially teaches that one of their top leaders got their teachings from a Gnostic, and he changed it, changed the teachings. 
Remember, it says, Origen brings them forward in a totally innovative way, creating an irreversible turn to Christian thought. In other words, not the original beliefs of the Catholic Church. And I mentioned before that Lucian, Lucian school was opposed to uh, Origen. And the fact is, there were two groups starting to call themselves Catholic Church. Now, it wasn't until the latter half of the 4th century that the term Catholic Church was clearly used for the Roman and Eastern Orthodox Catholic Churches. And this is when the Greco-Roman Bishop uh, Cyril of Jerusalem used it. Furthermore, in an imperial decree in 380, Emperor Theodosius declared that the, quote, Catholic Church was the official religion of the Roman Empire. The, he also issued an imperial decree that said any who would not embrace his definition of the Godhead were prohibited from using the term Catholic, which obviously means others were still using it. Okay, Church of God people who did not accept the uh, change to the Godhead. And he labeled, he, that's Theodosius, labeled such persons as foolish madmen and heretics, or as been translated by others, he called them demented and insane. So Theodosius of Antioch, excuse me, not Theodosius of Antioch, Emperor Theodosius declared that if you wanted to call yourself Catholic, you had to accept a change of the Godhead. Now this is in more depth in this particular book, and it's also in this Protestant book, by the way. So it wasn't the original faith. To be Catholic, you had to accept a changed faith according to an imperial decree. He did not say you have to hold to the beliefs of the original Catholic Church. He said, no, the, the changed version of Catholicism, which the Greco-Romans were embracing, is what you have to do, or you are not allowed to call yourself Catholic. Instead, we're going to call you demented, insane, foolish madmen, or various other things. So let me read some stuff from Theodosius, lest you think you just made this stuff up. Our will that all peoples who are ruled by the administration of our clemency shall practice that religion. Now he's trying to make it sound like it's the original faith. Which the divine Peter the Apostle transmitted to the Romans as a religion which he introduced makes clear even to this day. It's evident that this is a religion that's followed by the pontiff Damasus and by Peter, bishop of Alexandria, a man of apostolic sanctity, that is, according to the apostolic discipline and the evangelical doctrine, we shall believe in a single deity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit under the concept of equal majesty of the Holy Trinity. We command that those persons who follow this rule shall embrace the name Catholic Christians. The rest, however, whom we judge demented and insane, will sustain the infamy of heretical dogmas. Their meeting places shall not receive the name of churches, and they shall be smitten first by divine vengeance and secondly by retribution of our own initiative, which we shall assume in accordance with divine judgment. He stated this on February 28, 380. Now, he said some other things on the 30th of July, 381. We command that all churches shall immediately be surrendered to those bishops who confess the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are of one majesty and virtue, of the same glory and one splendor, to those bishops who produce no dissonance by unholy distinction, but who affirm the concept of the Trinity by the assertion of three persons and the unity of the divinity. 
by the way, Polycarpus Merma did not believe in the Trinity, nor did Ignatius. Uh, that's documented in here as well. And we continuing, he says, all he who descend from the communion of the faith with those have been expressly mentioned in this special enumeration shall be expelled from their churches as manifest heretics and hereafter shall be altogether denied the right and power to obtain churches. So they, in order that the priesthood of the true Nicene faith may remain pure and after the clear regulation of our law, there shall be no opportunity for malicious subtlety. So he's saying, can't be a church, you can't be Catholic unless you accept his doctrine on the Godhead, which was not the original faith. And by the way, if you look through church writings from various scholars, if, if, when scholars tell you the truth, they will tell you, they will admit that the Theodosian Trinity was not taught by Polycarp or even Tertullian, who was a Trinitarian, uh, or Ignatius, uh, or uh, various other uh, early uh, writers and professors of Christ. So it's, it's not, you know, even though Theodosius thought this is Peter's faith, wasn't Peter's either. And shortly thereafter, Catholics, Roman Catholic scholars such as uh, Jerome and uh, Epiphanius referred to later Christians who held to the original beliefs, they called them Nazarenes. Now, I'd like to read something uh, that was from uh, uh, academia.eu. says, from Justin to Jerome, however, the Nazarenes were viewed as doctrinally within the fold of what could be called Catholic Christianity which would include Polycarp and Ignatius, the Apostle John, and the Apostle Peter, but not in the Roman Catholic sense of the word. Now, it should be noted that the Nazarene Catholics were not part of Justin Martyr's church. Okay? Justin Martyr basically said he did not want to associate with those who kept the commandments and the holy days, and the Sabbaths and stuff. He was not. There were two groups. Uh, Justin left Asia Minor because... Uh, the bulk of people who professed Christ in Asia Minor at the time he was there uh, went with Polycarp, etc., and they kept the Sabbath and the Holy Days, etc. He didn't feel comfortable, so he went to Rome and got them to switch part, part of their things, and or he heard they had things he agreed with. But he did influence them, by the way, according to Roman Catholic writings. Anyway, but these Nazarenes uh, held doctrines consistent with the true Church of God in Ephesus and Smyrna of Asia Minor. And it was more Jewish than uh, the Greco-Romans uh, wanted. Now I'd like to read something that I think is both interesting and highly important. This is an observation from the late uh, Roman Catholic scholar and priest, uh, Bellarmino Bagatti. Regarding the Nazarenes, both Epiphanius and St. Jerome have nothing to condemn them for except the observance of customs forbidden by the councils. The councils? Yes, the councils. What are the councils? Well, in 325 AD, Emperor Constantine held the first council. He was not even baptized uh, when he did it. 
this is called the Nicene Council. Uh, he uh, oversaw it as a lay bishop, but he wasn't even baptized. And he called this order. And Theod Theodosius, in 381, called the Council of uh, Constantinople, where they declared uh, a Trinitarian Godhead as the official dogma of the Greco-Roman churches. And so it's interesting, said that the Nazarenes were not condemned except the fact they wouldn't accept doctrines of men. And because uh, they, went, they went with the, the original faith. All right. And that's a major difference, by the way, between the Continuing Church of God and most people who call themselves Catholic. The Greco-Romans accept several imperial and other councils as divinely authoritative. Now, now they're selective about which ones they accept because some contradict each other. And, uh, but the reality is that some of these councils change the original Catholic beliefs. We consider that the councils are basically of historical interest and that uh, uh, it documents the changes that the Greco-Romans made as opposed to uh, coming up with the original faith. Councils called by Roman emperors in the 4th century and later by others, that when they made changes in declarations, those were not part of the original faith. They wouldn't have needed to make those declarations. Now, as far as the term Catholic goes, those who disagree with Theodosius still sometimes use it after his decree. Fred Coinybear reported that in the Middle Ages, the Paulicians of Armenia continued to state, quote, they were the holy, universal, and apostolic church founded by Jesus Christ and his apostles. Now, I'd like to read something from uh, the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. They called themselves the Apostolic Catholic Church, but they were nicknamed Paulicians by their enemies. Now, you know within the Church of God, uh, you've heard of uh, the Paulicians, and again, uh, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica said that they called themselves the Apostolic Catholic Church. Now, I want to read something from the late uh, Worldwide Church of God evangelist, uh, Dean Blackwell. And he cites other things. He wrote, In Kurtz's Church History, it says, the Catholics, this sect called Romans. And they gave them the name Paulicians. See how they received the name. The, the, the Roman Catholics, this sect called them the Romans. The Paulicians, they didn't give themselves the name Paulicians. They called themselves Christians. The Bible says they haven't denied his name. When you read about the Paulicians, that's one thing that's mentioned quite often. They were named Paulicians by the Catholics. They considered themselves Christians, but they wouldn't call the Romans Christians. They called them Romans. And as uh, the Kurtz of Church History says, they wouldn't call the Romans Catholics either. They just called them Romans. Okay. Now we will call them Roman Catholics because otherwise people would get totally confused. But this is because the Paulicians still consider themselves to be part of the original Catholic faith. Now, Kurtz actually wrote that they called themselves uh, uh, Christians. Now, I want to read something from the uh, Old Ambassador College uh, Bible Sport Correspondence Course, Lesson 50, from 1965. The Paulicians claim to be the holy, universal, and apostolic church. 
So in other words, the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church, founded by Jesus Christ as apostles. Of the false churches, they say, we don't belong to these. They've long ago broken connection with the church. This article further, this lesson further says, sixth century, the succession of ministers thus begun by the hands of Jesus Christ remained unbroken in the true church through all ages. So we see that the Paletians were Christians according to the old Radio Church of God, that would have been 1965. Uh, Worldwide Church of God, which is when, uh, uh, 1973 is when Dean Blackwell wrote what he did. And that they claimed to have unbroken succession and they considered themselves the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. Now around the 12th century, the Voodoo's or the Waldensians, uh, they didn't call the Pope's uh, church the Catholic Church either. They called it the Roman Church. They refused to give it the name Catholic. Now I'm reading from a book called uh, Israel from the Alps. Uh, this is the 19, excuse me, the 1875 version. They ref, Roman Church. They refused to give it the name Catholic and showed where it had departed from true Catholicity. The Vodas, therefore, are not schismatics, but the continued inheritors of the church founded by the apostles. This church then bore the name of Catholic. And here's a quote from that book, Israel Alps. No people of modern times exhibit so much analogy to the ancient Jewish people as the Vodas of the Alps of Piedmont. Well, if they were sort of like the Jews and they were Christians... This gets back to what I said at the beginning from uh, Cardinal Danilu, that people do not realize the Jewishness, if you will, of the early church, and we see this going on in the Alps as well. The Christian original apostolic Catholic church continues with the laying on of hand succession to this day in the continuing church of God. And our apostolic beliefs have been documented throughout history, and we have them in these books I've held up as well as uh, this one, which is a bit shorter. Now, regarding the Protestants, uh, Greco-Roman Catholic apologists sometimes ask a version of the following I'm going to read. Okay. This says, Where was your church before the Reformation? Show us the people who before Calvin and Luther had the same beliefs as you. Let us see the uninterrupted link which binds you to the church of the first centuries and through her to the apostles and to Jesus Christ. This conjunction should exist, but it's impossible for you Protestants to point out such a link. You're introducing a new movement. You have a beginning. It is possible to assign your movement a precise date, and this simple fact condemns you. Okay. Now, it's true that the Protestant movement had a post-New Testament date. We in the Continuing Church of God are not Protestant. Again, this book and any other one I hold up is available at ccg.org. Plus, Protestants can't find many of their core beliefs in the first uh, couple of centuries of uh, the Christian church era, nor can many of the Greco-Romans. But what about the continuing church of God? Well, we're absolutely not Protestant. And also consider that there are records of claims of a written bishop successor list of Sabbatarians from the apostles by way of the Greek church, which would be Antioch or Asia Minor, through the 16th century. And you can read this from the Proceedings of the New York Historical Association uh, back in 1919. Now, while some people have pointed to a declaration date 
of the continuing Church of God in the 21st century to callously dismiss our apostolic continuity, I want to just go over a few points. One, we do not hold the unbiblical beliefs of Calvin and Luther, many of which are documented in this particular book, which I've held up. Again, it's free online. We don't ask for your email address or anything. You can read it, prove it. Various Christian leaders, including many that the Greco-Romans call apostolic fathers, documented our beliefs in the first few centuries of Christianity, and many of them are in this particular book that I've held up here. We can trace our leaders into the first few centuries of the church age. Leaders with our doctrines consider themselves to be part of the Catholic Church. As I mentioned, in the 2nd century, in the 3rd century, in the 4th century, in the 6th century, in the 12th century. Greco-Romans have doctrines now that are in opposition to many people that they consider to be saints. Whereas we hold the same basic theological views as early leaders we consider to be saints. Now, we don't consider all they call to be saints to be saints. Our forebearers of the continuing Church of God claimed apostolic laying on of hands succession. They claimed to have one or more lists that were complete through the 16th century. Now, while records of many of the centuries are sparse, we can identify groups that had certain Church of God beliefs and often leaders throughout the entire church age. We do have an unbroken succession from laying out of hands from the original apostles to present. We in the continuing Church of God are in a different category than the Protestants. Now as far as designations go, those who were once part of the old worldwide Church of God might be interested to learn that the Baropardian, a late worldwide Church of God evangelist, who was originally brought up as an Orthodox, uh, Armenian Orthodox Catholic, he confirmed that myself and my, my family in Evian, France, in 2008, that we're all part of the original Catholic Church. The Baropardian recognized this, as did, by the way, certain evangelists in my prior organization. Now, there were some lay people there who didn't quite grasp it, but the Baropardian understood that the true church of God was the original Catholic church. He and certain other historians have understood this. And again, I'm just starting this series going through this. The original name of the church in, in the Bible most often is Church of God. The original Church of God, the original Catholic church, had beliefs that differ from uh, people who now often call themselves Catholic. But the first few times the term Catholic Church was used was for the Church of God and for people who hold Church of God doctrines and doctrines that we in the Continuing Church of God hold today. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.